Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. I'm Mandy Walker and I'm your host. Selling a piece of jewelry like an engagement ring or wedding set can be a nightmare, but Worthy is a selling partner you can trust to work with you and for you to get the best deal on your piece. And if you're thinking it's not worth the hassle, remember that your diamond engagement ring can be the financial asset that allows you to embrace that fresh start after divorce. Worthy helps you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get a $100 gift card when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. For this episode, we're talking about the good divorce. Now, that's two words that you don't usually hear together. There are couples, however, that would say that they have had a good divorce. So what do we mean when we say a good divorce? How is it possible? And perhaps more importantly, how could you go about creating one? My guest today is Sarah Armstrong. Sarah's the author of The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, what to think through when children are involved. Welcome, Sarah. Mandy, great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, because I think that this is, this is such an important topic. And I just love that phrase, the good divorce. I wanted to start off by asking, when you wrote your book after your own divorce and having counseled many friends through their divorces, so that, let me start by asking you, what does a good divorce mean to you? It's oh, a great question. Um, and actually, my daughter was the one that defined a good divorce for me. I mean, if you stop and reflect on it, a good divorce means that a couple set aside their emotions and really do what's best for their child. But the interesting story is I was standing in line at a CVS with my daughter. Actually, she was seven when we got divorced, which was 12 years ago. And it was a year after we'd gone through a divorce and we're standing in the CVS and she points to a People magazine cover on the stand and there was a celebrity couple getting a divorce. And she goes, mommy, is that a good divorce or a bad divorce? And I stopped and I said, Grace, I don't know. What's the difference between a good divorce and a bad divorce? She goes, well, good divorce is when a mommy and daddy are nice to each other like you and daddy. And a bad divorce is when they scream and yell at each other. <laughs> and I, you know, I stopped and I, and I said, well, Grace, it's hard to tell what type of divorce it is in a magazine cover. And we walked out of the CVS that day, Mandy, and I thought, you know what, whatever my ex-husband and I were doing together to approach our divorce, our eight-year-old at the time could, could deem it a good divorce. And so that was just a signal, signal to me that we were on the right path. Well, absolutely. That is very perceptive. First of all, very, very perceptive of your daughter. But what a tribute to you and your husband that she at seven is able to recognize that difference. Yes. Yeah. And that was, that was a moment, you know, it was a moment for us to really reflect. And, you know, it's interesting when couples go through divorce and children involved, the stakes are high, you know, and I really feel that we owe it to our children to ensure that they're not collateral damage due to the divorce you know, and, um, you know, I said, we, we decide not to be married to each other, but we've made a commitment to raise our children in the healthiest and happiest environment possible. And I, I joke that we cover the plugs, you know, we, we put bike helmets on them, we feed them organic milk, we do all these things to make sure they're healthy and happy. But when you go through a divorce, 
we potentially put them in a very toxic environment. And the toxicity of a divorce can have long-term impact, you know, on their approach to relationships, their views on marriage, you know, their overall happiness in life. And so I think we have a responsibility as, you know, two parents to co to really take co-parenting seriously with the intent of having a good divorce. I'd, I'd love for society as a whole for it not to be so rare to say that you've had a good divorce. Well, and I think that going back to your magazine cover, we have this, that's what the media picks up on is the conflict and the drama around these celebrity divorces. And then people kind of somehow that sets an expectation or an understanding because we really don't see the media cover good divorces other than maybe Gwyneth Paltrow's and Marcus Martin's. Yes. Because it doesn't, it's not a news grabbing headline, but I'm totally with you that that's the model that we'd like more people to start off with. Because you'd mentioned about some of the benefits of protecting your children from conflict. I was wondering, are there other benefits that you've seen? Does it, does it make parenting with your other parent easier or is it more challenging because you have to, it takes effort and energy to actually work collaboratively or cooperatively through issues? It's a great question. I think it's a matter of where you want to put your energy (laughs) during a divorce. You can either put it into the negativity of, you know, I I generally say that no one gets married to get divorced and no one gets divorced for good reasons, right? And so there's a lot of emotion that comes through this, but children don't get the choice that their parents are going to get divorced and they're the the ones most greatly impacted. So with that, after the divorce or as you're going through it during and then after we have a choice as parents of what we focus on and where we put our energy and even with our ex-spouses do we want to lament the past and bring everything up every time we see them and even in front of our children or do we want to look forward and say how are we going to create the best possible scenario for our children to live the happiest lives possible given that they're now living across two households and so i think it is a conscious effort i do think it takes I do think it takes effort and planning. And I, I talk about building a compartmentalization muscle in my book yeah. because, you know, there are moments when the emotions are high and, you know, those are moments where you have to stop and talk to yourself and say, okay, if I have these emotions, I can have them, but ideally you're not showing those emotions in front of your children because those are reinforcing moments for them of where you're focused and their focus should be on them. And so, but there's times when, you know, you need to let the emotion out and absolutely should, but there are other times I hope we can compartmentalize it, deal with it later and do what's best for our children in those moments. Right. Right. And I think that the probably personal health benefits as well to compartmentalizing it and trying to stay on that path of a good divorce. Yes. Yes. And I I do think that, again, you need your outlets. I mean, I always said I had an amazing support from my family. My parents have been married 53, over 53 plus years and are a model of a beautiful marriage and a partnership and one that I always was striving for. Um, And my friends. So I had an amazing group of friends and family around me to support me. So I had the support in those moments when I needed to talk through things. But I also knew that I needed to be there for grace in a way that I wanted to model, you know, that you can be positive and happy, even though you are divorced, you know, divorce is an action, like we get divorced, but I don't think it should be a scarlet letter that we carry around and that our children have to carry around for our lifetimes as this 
negative cloud that kind of follows you around. It's like it, you should be allowed to have blue skies and allowed to, you know, have all the bright and positive things in your life. And so it is, it's a mindset. There's a lot about right. this. It's about your mindset, even though, again, most divorces do not happen for positive and happy reasons, but how you approach it moving forward is really fundamental to going down a path of even considering or having the ability to have a good divorce. And I do often with my clients start off very, very early on in the assignment, asking them to think about what a good divorce would mean to them. And that's even before we've started any of the, like, you know, collecting financial data or the negotiations. And, and I try and tell people that, you know, that nobody can tell you what the legal process is going to look like, let alone what happens afterwards, but you will reach many, many forks in the road. Yes. And if you take the left fork, it's going to put you towards contention and conflict. And if you take the right fork, it keeps you on the path to good divorce. Now, that doesn't mean that you're rolling over and agreeing with everything, but it does mean, I think, that having that vision, a mental picture of what a good divorce might mean to you helps you in those moments when those emotions are running high, that you don't have a knee-jerk reaction, that you can take a pause and a breath, and you can think about what is the impact that going left would have? What is the impact that going right would have? Yes, absolutely. And that was definitely, for me, I grew up with, again, very happily married parents, but I saw a lot of ugly divorces growing up. And that model of the ugly divorce where people were taking you know, potentially the negative path fairly often. And so when I wrote my book, the goal was to really highlight the, dis- the decisions you need to make about your children, the discussions you need to have and break it down into bite-sized pieces so that you could think about them. And to your point, those are all left and right turns, right? Every decision is either a left or a right turn or going straight and, you know, keeping on a path, but there are decision points and how we approach each of those decisions fundamentally builds up into an experience for you and your children of what divorce means in their lives and what divorce means to all of you. And so that's something I think we, we can be conscious about it. So a big question that I'm curious about is your husband at the time when you started on this divorce, did you have conversations with him about having a good divorce? I mean, I think you could, to some degree, you could do this on your own, but it's like you're going to have a much better outcome if both of you buy into this concept of a a good divorce. Yeah, it's a great question. So what I would say is at the time that we came to the realization that we would be getting a divorce, he knew how I felt about the concept of divorce and how important it was because we both wanted what was best for Grace. And actually a really pivotal moment for us, Mandy, was we were, we, we took Grace to a child specialist as part of our process. We did a collaborative divorce and we were in the child specialist office our first meeting before Grace knew we were getting a divorce. And the child specialist looked at me and he said, Sarah, do you travel? And I said, yes, I actually travel globally for my role um, very often. And he looked at my ex-husband and said, do you travel? And he says, yes, I tra- travel domestically. And he said, well, Grace is about to become a professional traveler. She's going to travel every week for the next 11 years until she heads off to college. And I burst into tears. And I, and he said, because she's going to have to pack a bag and she's going to become a professional traveler. And it just, it was such a moment for me. And so my ex-husband, and I actually, after that session, I walked out and I said, we have got to do all we can 
together to minimize the impact of Grace feeling like she's a professional traveler every week. I don't, we don't want, I don't want that for you. I know you don't want that for her. So it led us to thinking about the model we wanted to set up across our two households that allowed her to feel like she wasn't packing a bag every week. And so again, there's some socioeconomic considerations here, Mandy, but you know, we had all the basics of both houses, the socks and underwear and the jeans and you know, two pairs of running shoes instead of one. And in doing that, Grace could go out to school with her backpack and you know, know that she didn't have to pack those basics to go and sleep at dad's house tonight because we had 50, there was 50-50 custody in our agreement. And it just alleviated, alleviated that dynamic. The interesting thing is when things got out of balance, like there were too many socks at one house, mm-hmm. I said, that's not Grace's issue that she doesn't have, the, you know. So I said to my husband, we'd have rebalancing days on the weekends where one of us would kind of look through and say, you know what, I had too many socks. <laughs> Somehow all of her jeans were over here and we'd rebalance. And then he would, he, again, he would be the one or I would be the one that would physically be like, here's the, the bundle of things we need to take to mom or dad's house. Because it's not, again, it's not to give it to Grace and say, hey, take this to moms or take this to dads. She didn't choose this life. She didn't choose to live across two homes. And so those are just, again, they're finer points, but every one of those points builds up in a child's life that's a part of a divorce and can be a moment where they can look back and say, you know, my parents tried, they tried to do all they could. That's what I want. I want big Grace to be able to look back at my parents. I know they got divorced, but they did all they could for me to have the most normal and happy and healthy childhood. And so it was, it was very conscious for us. Right. And I often talk to people about when they're talking to their child about divorce, their child's mind's going to go to their friends who they know are living in two homes and that's their model. So it's really helpful to know who those friends are and what's going on there so that you can try and manage those expectations. Yes. Well, here's the thing. Grace was the first. Uh, He didn't know any. So for us, we were, we were, we were becoming the model for others, interestingly enough, but she didn't have a mental model of knowing anyone that was divorced. No one when my family was divorced. We didn't, we didn't have that. And so I was, we were trying to show trailblazing. Yeah, trailblazing, but in an interesting way, she looks back now, and even as early as middle school, she would say, Mom, so and so's parents are going through divorce, and we talk about how hard that is. And she, and you know, maybe that those parents weren't handling it in the way that her dad and I had handled. She's like, You know, Mom, it doesn't have to be that hard. It doesn't, you know, she would reflect. So she was trying to help her friends through these moments, knowing the experience we had had. So it was really interesting to see her reflection. And the, and the final thing on that point, Mandy, is as she headed off to college this last fall or last fall, she was packing in August and she said, mom, um, I'm calling this the great consolidation. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what, what does that mean? She goes, it's the first time in 11 years that all my stuff will be in one place. Oh, and that's where I got a little, you know, yeah. teary eyed. And I said, Grace, you're amazing because you've never once in those 11 years complained to mom or dad about the, st- the fact that your stuff wasn't, in, wasn't all in one place. Right. And she said, well, I'm very excited about that. I go, you deserve to be excited. I'm excited for the great consolidation for you. Too. <laughs> so, but that's just, even, you know, so she got through it, but I think she also appreciated that that was a unique way to live. And again, many of us, you know, as parents, we don't have to choose to live across two homes. We get one home but our children don't. And so what do we do? And it's a lot of logistics, Mandy, like it is logistics of life to manage so that your children don't feel like they're, they're really stretched across those two homes. Well, and we're going to come back to that, but right now we're going to take a short break 
Listeners, my guest is Sarah Armstrong, author of The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, What to Think Through When Children Are Involved. You're listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. We'll be right back and do stay tuned for more sage wisdom from Sarah on how you can have a good divorce. Moving past divorce is hard enough without your old engagement ring staring you in the eye every time you open your jewelry box. With Worthy, you'll find a selling partner who will help you transform your rings from dusty relics of hard times to a financial asset to help you start fresh. Worthy takes care of everything from insurance coverage to secure shipping, professional grading, and more. So when you're ready to sell, partner with Worthy. We're ready when you are. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get an extra $100 to Amazon when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Welcome back to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. I'm your host, Mandy Walker. And in this episode, we're talking about the good divorce. My guest today is author of The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, what to think through when children are involved. Sarah, I'm so happy you could be with us. And I wanted to, just before the break, you were talking about all the logistical things that you have to think through for a good divorce. And that leads into how you would recommend someone start creating their good divorce, like their vision for a good divorce. I I think you kind of have to start at a high level and then sort of flow down. You do. You do. Yeah. I do think it starts, I mean, within the divorce process, I think, you know, there's, there's a fundamental thing called the parenting plan, right? Which you can work through with your lawyers and depending on what type of uh, divorce you go through a, a divorce coach or a collaborative divorce coach, whatever the case may be, but making the decisions about your children's day-to-day lives And again, some of these decisions, you can be looking out far out, you know, how you're going to fund a college, if you're going to buy them a car or not, is it going to be used or new, like things that might be way, way down the road. But the more decisions that you can think about in terms of what's going to impact your child along the way and agree to that with your ex-spouse up front helps you to lay the foundation for what a good divorce can look like. Because once you have those decisions made and they are documented and they're part of your legal agreement, you have that to go back to at the points when there might be debates along the way. And it guides you through the, through the process and it allows it to be a bit more cut and dry in a way that, you know, some people leave things flexible and you, you, there's a spirit of flexibility even when you write it down in a parenting plan. But I do think that that is a foundational element. I also found it helpful to think in terms of, my kids were 11 and 14 when my husband and I split up, but I like to think about, even in terms of them um, school events, like my son was in band and my daughter played the piano, but it's like, you want to be able to go to a school event and you don't have to be buddy buddies, but you could sit close enough together. So your kids don't actually have to think, am I going to see mom on the left-hand side of the auditorium first or dad? And if I go to one, is the other one going to be upset? Absolutely, Mandy. I, as I said, we have to show up as, as our children's parents. You know, in those moments, they deserve to look out and actually look out and hopefully ideally seeing you sit next to each other or to your point in the vicinity, you know, and smiling and encouraging them and whatever it is, whether it's a school play or a band event or a soccer game or, you know, those are moments that 
they deserve. They deserve to have their parents both there supporting them. And, you know, a, a really interesting poignant point of time during our divorce was when Grace was in sixth grade and we went to her parent-teacher conference together with Grace. And at that age, she joined us for the parent-teacher oh, conference. the student-led conferences. Yes, yes. And her teacher was there and the three of us were with her. And at, at the end of this hour conference, the teacher looked up at us and she was, are you two divorced? And I said, well, yes. She goes, well, I had no idea. And I looked at her and said, it didn't occur to us to tell you. <laughs> we, we didn't walk in and go, by the way, we're divorced. You know, so she said, you know, it's amazing to me how few parents can come into this office for one hour in a given year and sit here with their child to talk about their child's education. She goes, it is very, very rare. And she said, it makes me really sad. Now, by the way, Grace is hearing all this. And I, and I said, it, I completely agree to you. It is very sad to think that two parents that have this wonderful child that they're trying to encourage and support in their education can't come in and put all that stuff aside. Now, there are times when you might not want to be in the physical presence of someone. I totally appreciate that. Those are, those are situations that are, are not meant for this guidance. But for those parents that can, you know, be in the same room, why not make that effort for your children in those moments that really matter and show your child your love and support in that moment and also show the teacher in the school that you're both there for your child. So it's just, again, one of those moments we had that really, but the fact that she said it was so rare was just so disheartening to me that that's where we are as a society. And with what we yeah. talked about earlier with divorce, that the model is meant to be, you have to have, for, for divorce families, you have to have two parent-teacher conferences because they they can't come together. Like that shouldn't be the expectation or the or really the acceptable way of doing it. For the, for the norm. I know that there are, as you said, there are situations where that has to be. Yeah. But I think maybe, you know, early on you can, you can practice that, again, these are different muscles that have to be exercised. But yes. And they get those um, events get bigger. So high school graduation, you you cannot have two high school graduations. <laughs> so you both have to go to the same high school graduation. Yes. And what a gift for your child if dad's extended family can be, if both extended families can be together. Absolutely. And that's and what we did. I mean, great. My ex-husband, my parent, we were all there together, you know. And even, I mean, we took Grace to college together. We, right. we both went out. And we were actually, she and her dad drove across the country. She's going to school on the other coast. And so it was, uh, you know, they went out and then I met them and we put her, we helped her settle into her dorm room together. So those are moments. Those are moments in time that you don't get back. And you only do those once, right? To your point. Right. And I think that you have to, like, if you, at the time that you're getting divorced, if you can have that vision, it's not just about now, it's when they graduate from college, it's when they have grandchildren is when they get married it's it's like if you can have that vision for how you want to show up at those events that's going to guide all these logistical decisions exactly the smaller moments in life how do you get there Mm -hmm. yeah and I think it's you know it is as we talked about earlier it is a very you have to be very conscious about it it is a day in and day out thing you know, it's, and, and again, I'll use an example of communication. You know, when you get divorced, there's still a lot to communicate to your ex-spouse about when you're raising children together. But what I decided to do is, you know, I didn't need to text him or call him every moment something occurred to me. I started a list of my phone, you know, and when I had enough, and unless it was something really timely, you know, the soccer game time had changed or whatever the case is, but, you know, for the things that we needed to work through, I'd keep a list and then I'd ping him and say, hey, do you have 15 minutes to have some things to talk about? We'd run through those kind of time box it. And then 
you know, we were done. We didn't, we didn't need to be part of each other's day-to-day life unless, you know, it was really around grace and, and what needed to be discussed. Yeah. And I think that that's a great point you make, keeping the door open to ongoing communication and focused around your child. And I'm wondering if you could share it. Were there any situations or challenges that arose for you that you really hadn't envisioned and how you handled that? So I'd say the hardest thing, um, and even with a good divorce, the hardest thing for me was always the holidays and the sharing, you know, so we, we shared, meaning we split holidays. So I'd have Thanksgiving and my ex-husband would have Christmas or vice versa. And my first Thanksgiving, I, the first round of holidays, the, the year of first, as I call them, um, I didn't have Grace for Thanksgiving. So I was with my family, my nieces and nephews, I mean, everyone was around and Grace wasn't there. And I was miserable. It was horrible Thanksgiving for me. And I decided after that, you know what, I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing it this way again. And so I've restructured how I approach holidays when I don't have grace. And they're better for me. They're a little harder because my family doesn't, you know, I'm maybe not as like plugged into the family dynamics, but I've had to recognize that that's how I've gotten through a, a hard time that I just think is, you know, one of the tougher things about divorce is not being with your children on those special holidays. So that was, that was the hardest thing. So I basically reworked what that model looked like. And now it's very natural for me and, and for all involved, but early on, I had to say, look, this really is too hard for me. I, this isn't, I'm, I'm not enjoying the holiday. I'm, so I've just kind of changed what I do. I go and I travel and I'm, you know, not inserting myself um, in those family moments when Grace isn't with me. Right. Right. And what about maybe like a situation with Grace, the, something that came up that, you know, have you sat down with your now ex, yeah. other parent and said, wow, yeah. never thought we'd be facing this. Yes. Well, you know, an interesting thing, it was uh, about a year plus after a door. So after she told me we'd had a good divorce, which I, we both really were amazed that she could, she could say that in a wonderful way. She then at a, we were on spring, she and I went spring break together and it was the two of us and we we're having a wonderful trip. And she looked at a table next to us and they had, it was a mother and a father and a sister and a brother. And she looked at me, she goes, that's a real family. Uh, and I looked at her and I said, oh, Grace, I go, we're a real family. She goes, no, we're not, mommy. It's just you and me. And there's, I mean, there's not a brother and a sister and there's not a daddy here. And it, again, there's one of those moments. And I said, we are a real family. And I tried to you know, convince her of this. So it was interesting because we went back and I, I told my ex-husband about it. And then I, I emailed our child specialist and said, hey, I had this moment with Grace and this is how I handled it. And he said, you should not have told her she was wrong because that at that point was her mental model of what a family looked like. And she had not yet come to the realization that a family could come in a different form. And he said, so that is that was her mental model. You know, and she and I said, but she was never going to have a brother and a sister. You know, I was like, so she was, and I said that wasn't ever happening. But so it was an interesting moment for me to step back and say, you're right. She's going to have those reflections. Those are her moments, and I can't reshape all of them to what I'm thinking because that is her perception, right? And so then it was just a matter of how we talked about different family structures. And again, because she was the first of her friends to see this, she didn't see any other families where it was just the mom right. with her on spring break or just her dad. So over the course of time, it became more normalized in her life. But in those early days, it felt like she was the only one and this isn't normal. And look, they have mommy and daddy at spring break with them and it's just you. So it was a moment. It was, it was one of the, 
times I had to stop. And, and the child specialist was very clear with me. You need to let her express that and accept it, not try to change it because that is her perception of the time. But over the course of time, he told me, you will be able to help her understand that there's different ways that families are structured. Interesting response from your child professional there. I think, I mean, that is part of our model too about families, societal models that families, mom, dad, children, Mm -hmm. and that changes because we do have two mom families, two dad families. Wonderful. We have amazing pictures of families in so many different ways these days. And I think this was, again, this was long enough ago that the traditional family model was still kind of cemented in Grace's head at that age. And I understand why it was, she was surrounded by it, right? Right. It wasn't, she didn't have any other pictures that would say, here's a family with just a mom. There's not a dad at, you know, at the dinner table or at the family vacation. So the other piece that I've found really interesting, Mandy, is the physical environment for our children during a divorce and the impact of not having them feel like things are being pulled apart you know, physically. And a lot of times it is, you know, someone, someone's moving out, you know, you might both be moving homes or one's moving homes, one's staying for our situation. I, we were staying, Grace and I were going to stay in the home that we had been living in. My ex-husband moved to a different home. And one of the moments that caught me and, and taught me a lot is we had a, a wall of family photos, black and white photos that had my ex-husband's family, my family, all interspersed down this long hallway. And I realized that I would need to give my ex-husband the photos of his family. So I, I took the, and this is where effort comes in. I took the effort to, to get different copies of pictures of my family and of Grace. And so I sent her down on a play date on a Sunday afternoon. And I ended up putting the new photos up and taking my ex-husband's down, putting them in the box, you know, putting them in the closet. And Grace came home about an hour later and I'm in the kitchen. And I hear from this hall, the hallway, this little voice goes, hey, mom. And I go, what's that, Grace? She goes, the wall has changed. <laughs> and I stopped in my tracks. And I said, Grace, what's changed? She goes, there are more pictures of me up there. It looks great. And she ran up to her room. And I stopped and I thought, oh, my gosh. And the thing is, and I fundamentally believe this, Mandy, if I had not taken the time and made the effort to put new photos up there. And all he had done is taken the photos of my ex-husband's family and of him and put them in a box and left those little hangers, you know, on the wall in between the other photos. And Grace had come home years later. She would reflect on the fact that her parents got a divorce and her mom took all the photos of her dad off the wall and left those little hangers. Yeah. Well, that was a very good perception or a great, I don't know, like a little brainwave that you had there and what to do about that. It was just a moment, you know, but it was one of those things that I look back and think it, again, it took effort. I thought, oh, and I also didn't want those little hangers hanging in there either, you know, visually, because it, it was a representation to me of what was being pulled apart. But I just, the point of that story is like, our children notice everything. Yeah. They really do. And the things that you do, I thought that, I thought that wall was wallpaper. I didn't think she would notice it. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, oh, I'll do this. And I mean, within seconds, she came in and had noticed it, reflected on it. But then she went on her way. But it was a moment. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Sarah. I just reflect on that moment as an as a important thing to reflect on as, as parents as we're going through this. Because we do, we are pulling things apart and we just have to figure out how we can make it feel as normal. And again, normal in air quotes as possible for our children as they're going through this really challenging time in our collective lives. Right. We're out of time now. 
And um, I know that there's so much more we could have talked about. I want to recommend to our listeners that they grab a copy of your book because it has page by page, like tremendous number of suggestions about what to think through ahead of how to handle child-related issues in your divorce and so that you can have a good divorce. Well, thank you for having me, Mandy. Really wonderful to be there with you, be here with you and I'm happy to talk anytime on this topic because it's so important. And I do fundamentally believe that with some thought and, and with some effort, people, couples can have a good divorce. Yeah. So this is my guest today was Sarah Armstrong. She's the author of The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, What to Think Through When Children Are Involved. And obviously this is a, a really important topic for anybody to take some time and really look at. Thanks for listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy dedicated to celebrating women like you as you embrace a new beginning after divorce separation, or whatever. Worthy is a selling partner with an online auction platform designed to help you sell your jewelry, such as an engagement ring or wedding set. When you decide to send your ring, Worthy takes care of the shipping and insurance to ensure that it arrives safely at our New York office. Once your jewelry arrives, the team at Worthy professionally cleans and photographs it before sending it out to a grading lab. All of these steps are designed to maximize your price in Worthy's online auction, where hundreds of buyers compete for your piece. One of the best parts of selling with Worthy is that you are completely in control. You'll work with Worthy's team to set a reserve price before the auction starts, keeping you in control of how much your ring sells for. If the highest bid comes in below that threshold and you decide not to accept it, we will send your ring back to you and we'll even cover the costs of the insured shipping again. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Are you ready to embrace your fresh start? Us too. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get an extra $100 to Amazon when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch every new episode of Divorce and Other Things in your weekly feed. If you like what you hear, rate and review us to help other women like you find us. This podcast is for you. So reach out to us at podcastworthy.com to let us know what you think and what you want to hear. We look forward to hearing from you. And you can also find more episodes at worthy.com forward slash podcast.